1: Good morning, my name is Joanna, and I will be a conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Turquoise Hill of Resources First Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Thank you, Roy McDowell. You may begin your conference.
2: Thank you, Joanna. Good morning. I'm Roy McDowell, Head of Investor Relations and Communications. Welcome to our first quarter 2020 financial results conference call. On Wednesday, we released our first quarter 2020 results press release, MD&A, and financial statements. These items are available on our website and SEDAR. With me on the call are Olaf Quellman, our CEO, Luke Colton, our CFO, and Joanne Dudley, our COO. This call and presentation includes certain forward-looking statements and information. We refer you to the forward looking statement section of the annual information form dated March 18, 2020, as supplemented by our MDNA for the three months dated March 31, 2020. And now I'd like to
3: turn the call over to our Chief Executive Officer, Wolf Quellman. Thank you, Roy, and good morning to everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning for our first quarter 2020 financial earnings call. It was only a relatively short while ago that we hosted our 2019 year-end conference call, and yet the impact of the coronavirus pandemic has become far greater than probably most of us might have expected at the time. On a personal note, we hope that you and your families are healthy and safe, and you're able to adapt to the new realities that uh, all of us are being presented with. Turning to yesterday's first quarter update, and the announcement of the updated Panel Zero mine design, I'd like to begin by providing with an overview of the quarter, and then turn the call over to our chief operating officer, Joanne Dudley, to take you through the updated Panel Zero mine design, and finally to Luke Colton our chief financial officer, to summarise our first quarter 2020 financials. In Mongolia, the COVID-19 situation escalated in early March. When Mongolia recorded its first case of COVID 19, the Oyotolgo team responded quickly and worked with local and federal authorities to ensure the health and safety of our workforce, their families, the local communities, while the government of Mongolia acted decisively by halting international rate rail flights and intercity travels. The immediate impact of travel and border restrictions slowed supplies into Oyotolgo and concentrate deliveries to our customers in China. However, the open pit operations continued uninterrupted. As of today, OUPOGA has not recorded any cases of COVID-19 and does not have any employees or contractors in isolation. In addition, Mongolia itself has not reported any recorded locally transmitted cases. The situation at the border has stabilized with shipments of copper concentrates into China and supplies into Tolgoi returning to normalized levels. The Tolgoi business resilience team meets on a daily basis and continues to work with the Mongolian authorities to monitor and prevent the possibility of any COVID-19 cases. From an operations and underground development perspective, the team has done an exceptional job of managing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The open pit operations continued uninterrupted through the first quarter, with copper and gold production remaining on track to achieve our 2020 guidance. In addition, the team is implementing initiatives to bring forward the higher gold-bearing ore into 2020, which is expected to lead to gold production at the upper end of the guidance range. Important to note that this excellent level of productivity has occurred with a backdrop of continued best class safety records that remains the Oriol team's top priority. And although we have experienced slowdowns in certain areas, progress on the underground development has continued as per expectations, as we've been able to cross-train our highly skilled local workforce to alleviate the impact of the travel restrictions and focus on critical part infrastructure. Productivity improvements have resulted in a lateral development rate averaging 1,822 equivalent meters in the first quarter versus 1,607 equivalent meters in the fourth quarter of last year, with March setting a new record of 1,939 equivalent meters. As I touched on earlier, the first quarter was another excellent quarter from an open pit productivity perspective. Although we are transitioning through the lower grade areas of the pit, considering the impact of COVID-19, the team has done an excellent job of keeping production in line with our guidance. Mill throughput is another metric to note as we processed over 119,000 tons per day which is well above the main plate capacity of 100,000 tons per day. Now before I turn the call over to Joanne to discuss the updated panel zero mine design, I'd like to take a moment to thank our shareholders for their continued support. As you'll recall, in July last year, we announced that stability risks had been identified with the original panel zero mine design with an associated estimated increase in the schedule to sustainable first production of 16 to 30 months and an increase in capital development costs of $1.2 to $1.9 billion. We set a timeline to complete an updated mine design by the first half of 2020. And now, after extensive geotech modeling and a thorough technical assurance program that included independent third parties, the updated design changes for panel zero have been approved by the TRQ board. And with that, I'd now like to turn the call over to Joanne to take you through the Underground Development and the Panel Zero Mine Design. Joanne, over to you.
0: Thank you all. Hello, everybody. Please go to slide seven. Before turning to the update on the Panel Zero Mine Design, let me provide you with a snapshot of progress elsewhere. The key milestone towards the progression of the underground development was the completion of shaft two in October last year. Shaft two has been performing well, but payloads and hoisting speeds on the production hoist are currently reduced due to routine stretching of the newly commissioned ropes. We're working through this ordinary course issue with remote support with no impact on underground lateral development to date. Shafts three and four saw very good construction progress during the quarter, and are nearly ready for sinking works to commence. Due to travel restrictions arising from COVID-19, these shafts have now been put into care and maintenance until specialist personnel can reach the mine site. But I'd like to note that the initiation and ramp up of Panel Zero can proceed without these shafts commissioned. Primary Crusher One civil works are ongoing and the team has successfully poured the 10th level of crusher wall. Despite shaft three and four being on care and maintenance and the slowing of construction work on the primary crusher system, our team achieved a new record of 1,939 equivalent metres of lateral development in March and a record average of 1,822 per month for the quarter. Progress continues on the conveyor decline with over a kilometre of equivalent metres developed during the quarter please turn to slide eight you'll now recall from our fourth quarter update that we'd guided the market to expect the new panel zero mine design in the first half of 2020 and we've made some important steps to guide that design over the past few quarters The Panel Zero Mine Design decision has now been made by the TOQ board, with the caving method of mining remaining valid, and the design and location of all the other major infrastructure, such as shafts and primary crushes, are unchanged from the feasibility study. The design changes are focused around the Panel Zero mining area, which is the highest grade of the Oyu underground and remains our priority target. The updated design provides increased resilience in execution and operations to the geotechnical conditions in panel zero, as now understood. The decision was supported by detailed geotechnical modelling and a rigorous technical assurance program involving third-party experts, and considered consequential impacts on and risks relating to recovery, geotechnical, constructability, operability, schedule, cost and value. The next phase of mine design studies will include design optimisation for panel zero and a review of mine design options for panel one and two to utilise the learnings from the panel zero work. The panel one and panel two studies will be informed by additional data collected from an underground drilling program, which is in progress. Please turn to slide nine. The approved panel zero design remains within the ranges previously disclosed and anticipates a delay to the 2016 technical report Key Project Milestone of Sustainable Production of 25 months with a range of 21 to 29 months, inclusive of an allowance for schedule contingency and an increase in development capital costs of $1.5 billion with a range of $1.3 to $1.8 billion. This is subject to any additional scheduling delays or increases in capital costs arising from the imp- impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. As I said earlier, many of the fundamentals of the mine design remain unchanged from the 2016 Feasibility Study, with the changes to Panel Zero focused on addressing the stability risk highlighted by updated geotechnical modelling. The update Updated design varies from the 2016 design, primarily through the incorporation of structural pillars located immediately north and south of the current panel zero boundaries, and relocation of ore handling infrastructure to these pillars. This addresses the risks of damage to the ore handling system in the original position, as identified by updated geotechnical modelling. A change, a change to initiate via a single undercut face instead of two, reduces the complexity of managing two separate but related work areas and improves the separation of mine construction and and production activities. The incorporation of pillars provides the opportunity to initiate Panels 1 and 2 as independent panels or blocks, allowing design optimisation and for these areas to be developed discreetly, enabled by the required ventilation and or handling of the structure, as well as lateral development progress. Overall, the changes provide a robust platform to develop and operate the Hugo North List 1Ks, and will now undergo a period of further detailed design, engineering and optimisation to support the definitive estimate, due in the second half of 2020, again subject to any delays due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be available for questions, but uh, in the meantime, would you like to continue?
3: Thank you, Joanne. Um, before I turn the call over to our CFO, Luke Colton, let me just provide you with a quick update uh, of our multiple discussions with the government of Mongolia. First, turning to power. As you know, Oyutolgo is obliged under the 2009 investment agreement to secure a long-term domestic source of power for the Oyutolgo mine. In February of this year, Oyutolgo submitted a feasibility study for a Tavern Tolgoi power plant, TTPP, with an estimated cost of $924 million. At the same time, a notice of contingency under the power source framework agreement was submitted by Orvi Tolgoi to the government of Mongolia. This notice initiated the first phase, phase one, of the contingency process which attempted to agree on a basis for the TTPP, the cabin Polgoi Power Plant, to proceed. Now, the second phase of the contingency process has commenced, where Oyutolgoi and the government consider the alternatives to the TTPP prescribed in the Power Source Framework Agreement. On the 14th of April, the Minister of Energy notified Oyutolgoi of the government's decision to develop and fund a state-owned power plant. Oyutolgo is currently in discussions with the government to allow continued consideration of TTPP, as well as the state-owned power plant. Reaching such an agreement remains our objective. However, if such an agreement cannot be reached between OYUTOLGA and the government by the 14th of June, then thereafter, OYUTOLGO is entitled to select and implement one of the alternative options that are outlined in the power source framework agreement. In reference to the outstanding tax dispute between OYUTOLGO and the government on the 20th of February, OYUTOLGO proceeded with the initiation of a formal international arbitration proceeding in accordance with the dispute resolution provisions of the investment agreement. We remain of the opinion that OYUTOKO has now paid all taxes and charges required under the investment agreement, the ASHA, the underground development plan, and Mongolian law. As we announced in December last year, the parliamentary working group finalized its report from which a resolution was put forward um, for the government of Mongolia to enter into discussions to improve the implementation of the investment agreement and improve the underground development plan. This also included a variety of other measures, including but not limited to exploring options of a product sharing agreement uh, or Swap Mongolia's 34% equity holding for a special royalty. At this stage, representatives from Turquoise Hill and Rio Tinto are engaged with the government to resolve these issues and we will update the market as and when appropriate. So with that, let me now turn the call over to Luke Colton, our Chief Finance Officer, to take you through our financial highlights. Luke, over to you, please.
4: Thanks, all, and hello to everyone on the call. If I could get you to please turn to slide 12, and I'll give you a summary of our key financial metrics for Q1 of 2020. There are some significant variances when comparing the metrics in the first quarter of 2020 to the first quarter of 2019. The primary reason for this is due to the planned transition into mining lower grade phase 4B and phase 6B ore together with stockpiles. The reductions in head grade and recovery were led to led to a 78% decrease in gold production and a 23% decrease in copper production when compared to Q1 2019. Now, this ultimately led to a 63% decrease in revenue from Q1 2019 to Q1 2020, which in turn contributed to lower cash generated from operating activities. The 75% decrease in gold sales revenue was the main reason for the increase in C1 cash costs from $0.77 in Q1 2019 to $2.07 per pound of copper produced in Q1 of 2020. The period-on-period increase in all-in sustaining costs was not as significant as the increase in C1 cash costs, and this was primarily due to the offsetting impact of lower sustaining capital expenditure and lower royalty costs due to the lower sales revenue. I can ask you to please now turn to slide 13, Turquoise Hills liquidity balance at the end of March 2020 was $1.8 billion, with $1.6 billion in cash and cash equivalents, and $200 million of remaining project finance proceeds. In addition, we expect to generate free cash flow at our existing open pit operations, subject to any impact of COVID-19 and this will also be available to help fund the underground development. We currently expect to have enough liquidity to fund operations and underground development, including progression of a power solution into Q3 of 2021. This timing has been extended since the March 2020 earnings call as a result of an estimated slowdown in underground development spend, arising from the potential impact of COVID-19 which has restricted access of the mine for teams from OT, Rio Tinto, and our construction partners. This has also led to a downward revision of both our underground development guidance range for 2020 to 1 billion to 1.1 billion, as well as the downward revision of the upper end of our open pit operations guidance range from 120 million to 100 million. As work to complete the definitive estimate, the panel's one and two mine design study and to secure a long-term domestic power solution progresses, Turquoise Hill will continue to evaluate its cash flows, liquidity, and financing projections. Whilst funding requirements will be clarified by the ongoing work, we are well progressed in discussions with Rio regarding a proposal for sourcing incremental interim funding to ensure Turquoise Hill can progress the underground developments over and above its $1.8 billion of available liquidity. Current estimates indicate an incremental funding requirement over and above liquidity currently available of at least $4 billion. This current estimate has improved from the at least $4.5 billion previously disclosed, due in part to the selection of the panel zero mine design, coupled with lower forecast LIBOR rates. As the slide shows, the at least 4 billion estimate is dependent on many variables, all of which could impact the quantum of incremental funding required. And of course, the company will continue to assess the possible impacts of COVID-19 on its operations development activities, as well as its incremental funding requirements. And with that, I'll hand back over to all.
3: Thank you very much, Luke. So to wrap it up, the first quarter of this year has Been all but overshadowed by COVID-19 and the impact it has had on the health and safety of really everyone around the world. And everyone is still trying to assess the full impact uh, on the global economy, as well as the financial markets. In light of an unprecedented event such as this, it is our belief that Mongolia, as well as oyu have demonstrated an extraordinary capability to manage and mitigate the impacts on its workforce the broader community, and its business performance in an outstanding fashion. Mongolia has done a tremendous job in containing and minimizing the impact on its people. And Ayatollah, as a business, has been able to safeguard the well-being of its people and to operate and deliver under the most difficult of circumstances. This achievement, and of course, we know that the challenge is far from over, speaks to the resilience and the ingenuity of the Mongolian people, who, of course, make up more than 94% of Tolgoi's workforce. Our safety record remains strong. Our open pit operations have continued thus far uninterrupted. The underground mine development and construction have progressed, albeit there are experiencing challenges, primarily as a result of not being able to get specialist and supervisory foreign national society, but we are exploring creative ways to mitigate these impacts as best we can. Importantly, we have approved the mine design for Panel Zero that we are now taking forward to execution-level planning, culminating ultimately in the DE, the Definitive Estimate, later this year. So since July of last year, we have done what we said we would do. We've laid out a process map that we shared with the markets, and we have delivered on those key milestones. And that's what we intend to continue to do. The caveat in all of this, of course, is the precise impact of COVID-19 on our key activities, which to date remains unquantified. We have more work to do, both on power as well as financing. Luke just updated you on the latest minimum funding requirements as well as the work and the discussions we continue to have with finance providers. The discussions are progressing, and we are absolutely focused on those. Also recall, though, that we have available liquidity that sees us into the third quarter of next year. So while the funding is absolutely important and a priority for us, to lay out a funding plan, there is no immediate cash shortfall. And on power, we are working with the government of Mongolia to progress sourcing power from within Mongolia. There are a variety of options available, and each one of them has its own advantages and challenges. The PSFA, the Power Source Framework Agreement, is the contractual framework within which these discussions are taking place. The government has most recently put forward its preferred concept, and we are now in discussions to find a way to embed this concept into the PFSA framework, which we hope to be able to do soon. So the priorities remain clear. You are seeing Oya progressing on many fronts and delivering against the milestones we've set out. The quality of the ore body, and the quality of Oyu as a business remains world class, and it is well on its way to being one of the world's tier one copper mines. it have been able to demonstrate important progress in the key area of mine design, and you're able to see what Oyu Tolgoi's largely Mongolian workforce is able to do in the face of adversity as evidenced by COVID-19. So there's a lot to be done but we're certainly well on our way. So that concludes our prepared remarks. And with that, operator, could I please turn the call back to you for uh, any questions, please?
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. The first question comes from Orest Wackadel from Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
5: Oh, hi. Good morning. Um, I'm curious, now that you've completed the mine design for panel zero, can you give us some color on what the ramp-up schedule would look like once you achieve that initial for sustainable production, which I take it? based on the 25-month delay is more like uh, first quarter of 2023. And I, I'm curious specifically whether the ramp-up profile for the copper and the gold has changed materially at all from what we saw in the 2016 tech report.
3: or thanks for the question. If I may, um, I may have to add a little bit of a facilitator on the call this morning, because we're all working from different places. Um Joanne, it's, uh, I hope you could hear the question. Are you, uh, do you want to address Aura's questions?
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Wolf, and and uh, thank you, Aura, for your question. Uh, so at this stage, uh, the, the decision that's been approved uh, really is uh, focused on the panel zero area, and there is some ongoing optimisation work that's being completed uh, to understand the, the full impact of the changes. We also are continuing to work on design refinements of panel one and two, which also required uh, to be uh, part of the, the ramp-up, as you would know from that 2016 technical report. So as part of that design review work, uh, we'll, be, we'll be further reviewing uh, any impact on ramp-up. Uh, the work is still in progress. Uh, and, uh, and has yet to be completed. However, it is worth noting that with the incorporation of pillars to the north and south of panel zero, uh, there, are, there is some flexibility uh, to start panel one and two independently um, as, uh, and, and that will be dictated by uh, infrastructure availability like ventilation and ore handling and development progress. Uh, and so, so that work uh, will be will be going on through uh, 2020.
5: Sorry, but I'm not I'm not sure I understand. If, are you saying that it's too early to know if there's a material change or maybe I can ask, do you anticipate there will be a material change to the ramp up profile?
0: Yes, so it's too early to say. The the design gives us flexibility on the starting of on the initiation of panel one and two, the design decision for panel zero, and so there is uh, you know some opportunity provided with that, but that work is uh, is ongoing and it just hasn't crystallised yet. It is a good question, but we're just not there yet.
5: And then if I if I could, can you just give us an idea of how much contingency is embedded in the new uh, development plan and capital overrun number with respect to say number of months or, or dollars for the budget?
0: Yes, so uh, another another uh, good question, Horace. So uh, there is contingency included in the range provided and the estimate uh, and uh, these things uh, are, are calculated uh, on each schedule and the the degree of progress that has been made. So in this case, we're not we haven't specified the contingency, but there is there is contingency included, as you would expect and as you have seen in the past uh, with the work that we've communicated.
5: Okay, but you can't quantify it.
0: Not right at this moment. Thank you. Can I just add to? It? Can I just
3: add to the two to supplement uh, Joanne's comments? Yes, we're not, we're not in a position to um, publicly provide uh, what the contingency is. I think what I just want to highlight, or is um, we are keen and we were keen to update the markets on the progress we made on mine design, um, which is what we've done we were also keen to provide the market with an update on ranges, right, for schedule and for, for capital costs, and that's what we've done. They are ranges because, of course, that's where we are at the moment from a level of um, precision, if you like. So that's why they're ranges as opposed to precise numbers. Uh, but we wanted to do that uh, at this point in time because we felt it was appropriate for that. Um, that's why also we have a contingency in the numbers at this stage, the final number, if you like, or the definitive number, both on cost and schedule, you will then receive when we get to the definitive estimate, which is
5: later this year. Okay. Thanks, Paul.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Hayden Burstow from Macquarie. Please go ahead.
2: Hi, all. Hi, um, Evening from from my side of the world, just a couple of quick questions. Firstly, on um, the the new sort of mine plan, do we, do we need to sort of almost throw out the old numbers in terms of, um, you know, 65 Ks of development pre-getting sort of the thing underway, given you now got two sort of all handling areas opposed to one, and all these numbers will come out in the definitive estimate. so we'll get... So there's no point of looking at your, your quarterly development rates or saying you're getting closer to the finishing of the, the pre-development work. That's the first one. And then... The second one, just on, I, I note in the commentary about you know, the completion of the panel one and two work won't be done until 21. So the definitive estimate won't be definitive. It won't have life of mind capex and all that sort of stuff because you won't actually have finished um, all of the, the panel one and panel two design work. Is that a fair way to think about it?
3: Yeah, very two very good questions, Hayden. Again, I think Joanne on this call this morning. I'm afraid you may probably get the the bulk of the questions. But are you could you hear the question from Hayden, Joanne? Do you wanna do you want to start answering? I can supplement in the end if needed. Sure.
0: Thank you, Wilson. Awesome. Thank you, Hayden. Uh, so in terms of the way we should think about things, I mean, we have provided an update of the uh, sustainable production date, and that is a key value driver. Uh, for the mine, and uh, and, is what, and that's why we're focused on, on that date. Uh, it, it's not necessarily meaningful to think about um, the development metres, for example, because there are multiple critical paths on the project uh, and some of them are development metres and some of them are other aspects of the schedule like infrastructure, uh, ventilation and uh, and material handling, for example, and all of these pieces build to give us uh, the date at which we can start ramping up, which is um, first sustainable production. So we're best to, to, to focus on the, the dates in front of us for the start of ramp-up, uh, if that makes sense. In terms of the uh, definitive estimate, uh, the, a key aim of the definitive estimate is to provide uh, an, an update a, a very accurate update on the uh, development capital estimate, uh, which uh, which is really about the infrastructure component uh, that is being constructed, and so uh, that that particular portion of the estimate will be uh, will be quite a, a, a good quality, subject of course to the current changes uh, that uh, we're finding as a result of COVID nineteen. So you know we have some aspects of the construction that is being that is being impacted. Uh, so so uh, does that does that answer your question, Hayden?
2: Yeah, I guess just trying yeah trying to get an understanding of the definitive estimate. I assumed would be a you know provide updates for everything, but clearly you won't have life of mine. It's more a focus on the front end capex. But just on the the underground development thing, we understand what you were talking about, but. Yeah, the previous numbers that were in the studies about we needed 65k's of lateral development to get going, there's probably more than that now. So there's no point even thinking about those numbers as as relevant. We'll see all those in the definitive estimate. Is
0: that, is that yes, how so there, will be, about? there will be. be. Yeah. So there will be an update provided at some other time, and there has been scope change. Uh, over over that that period so it is a good a good way to think of that I think I mean just sorry back to the definitive estimate question you know there is work going on uh, and drilling proceeding on the footprint to try and understand uh, any residual uncertainties and we'll get a significantly improved picture over the remainder of 2020 for how things are going to you know, work out in terms of that life of mine um, picture.
2: Okay. And also, if I could still one final one, just I'll give Joanne a rest. Just on the the, the funding shortfall of $4 billion, um I mean, almost half of that from memory was you know, the, the debt repayment schedule. I mean, the force majeure declaration on the debt, does that change that repayment schedule or does it just change the long stop? And... If we strip that out, obviously the funding shortfall is way lower. And this power station development is pretty interesting. I mean, does that potentially remove the power station costs or a large proportion of it from part of this potential shortfall? Yeah,
3: uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Hayden. I'll, I'll let uh, Luke comment in a second, maybe on the on the fourth measure, the long stop there. Just on power, the this, uh, the this second half of your question. Um, what what you are right to point out, Hayden, is as we are still looking at various options, and if you were to take the government's preferred option, which is uh, what they call the state-owned and funded option, um, if we ended up with that option and that was absolutely executable and met OT's requirement, um, then, of course, that would have a material impact on the funding requirement because it would all of a sudden remove a big chunk of the funding uh, from OT if the government decided that it was willing to fund the power plant, right? Uh, and so you're absolutely right to point out that if that is where we ended up, and of course that's not certain at the moment, but if that's where we did end up, uh, then that would have a big material impact on on the minimum funding requirement. Maybe look with that. You want to comment briefly on on the first part of Hayden's questions around force majeure and implications on long stop date and the size of the of the, the, the debt service, really, as part of the funding gap?
4: Yeah, no no problem. The, the question is a good one, and the answer is, is simple. Uh, um, the impact is really on the long-stop date, Hayden. So at this stage, we're not really expecting that, um, you know, the, the sort of near-term interest and principal repayments are going to change at all as a result of this. So uh that, that's that's the quick answer. Have, happy to go into more detail if you want, but um
2: that that's the quick answer. Okay, great, I'll take it out enough time. Thanks for that uh terrific answers.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Oscar Cabrera from C I B C. Please go ahead.
3: Oscar, your
5: line is Oscar, open. Feel that.
1: Go ahead, please. Oscar, if you are on mute, please unmute your phone.
6: Apologies. Um, let me start over. Um I was i I'm just saying, you know, I hope um you and your families are well in this uh, uncertain times. So um couple of things for me. Uh, the first is, can you discuss the critical path items in the underground in order to meet your 25 month delay? It sounds like shaft three and four are not part of this critical path. And, um, and if, if, there, if, isn't, if they're not, then um, how long can you wait to think this before it starts affecting future underground development and production?
3: Thanks, Oscar. I'll, I'll pass the question in a second to Joanne. But first of all, acknowledge, thank you for your good wishes and hope that you and your the family are, are, are safe as well. And Joanne, just before you answer the specific question, you're absolutely right, Oscar, to point out that I think when we look at the impact to date of COVID-19 and what might happen going forward, there are differences, right? Because what we try to point out is to date, Certainly, the open-pit operations have been really uninterrupted. Um, that continues to be the case. And in areas of underground development, it's also been unaffected because we continue to deliver strong results. Um, but where there has been impact is exactly, as you point out, on some infrastructure, whether it's shaft 3 and 4 and one or two others. And Joanne, maybe you want to take it from there and say, what are the implications of that and um, are they on the critical path now or if not now, um, will they become critical path at some stage going forward?
0: Thank you, Orphan. Thank you, Oscar, for the question. Uh, on this project, there are multiple critical paths and uh, Uh, A component of that critical path is the lateral development progress, as well as materials handling and ventilation supply uh, components of the critical path. And At some point, uh, all of these aspects may become critical path on the project. Uh, We should recall that Panel Zero is able to be initiated and commence ramping up using the existing ventilation capacity. Uh, and so initially any delays in shaft three and four uh, should have a minimal impact Uh, as i've mentioned before there is ongoing work uh, on uh, panel zero and also panel one and two um, we've got design refinement work being carried out and at this point uh, you know a complete and full understanding of the critical path uh, is, is under review and so, more information about that will emerge as the work progresses and, uh, you know, there's obviously uh, some uncertainty about about what will happen in terms of timing um, and and accessibility to restart that work. So, the work is ongoing, uh, it's very much something that is, that is a focus for the team. Ulf, would you like to add anything further?
3: I would just say in general, Oscar, I think um, it's important for us to strike the right balance. I think on the one hand, being very, I think, proud to look at what the OT team and uh, with support of the Mongolian government has been able to do so far in terms of really minimizing the impact. At the same time, all of us know that looking forward, it is quite or the degree of uncertainty remains high, right? And many of these things at the moment are outside of our control. And whilst we are, I mentioned that in my prepared remarks, whilst we are looking at some creative solutions to try and mitigate some of these impacts, so for example, where we do need specialized Um, expertise from abroad to be in country? Are there ways using technology to do it remotely? All of these things are being looked at. But at this stage, um, we just haven't got the certainty to, to give you really a good answer and say, right, the impact is X many months, and that's when it will be mitigated. So that means all at the moment we can do, Oscar, is kind of point out what we've done so far the work, as Joanne is saying, that's going on to look at these things and mitigate them. But it's really not possible for us to put a lid on or put a cap on what is the impact ultimately going to be because the situation is live and emerges on a daily basis. I know that's not a good answer, Oscar, but that's, I'm afraid, the reality where we are.
6: Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. Also. And I think, you know, I think my, the main takeaway for me is that South three and for. Um, do not have an impact on the um, on the sustainable production or the 24, 25 month delay. Thanks. Then, if, you know, turning to power, um, you know, here the Mongolian government is intent to develop and fund um, the Tabantogo Tolgoi coal fields. Um, based on previous history, does, this does not appear to be a reliable solution. So, how are you thinking about this process? Um, I know there's a deadline of June 14, based on your agreement with the government, and this is 10 days ahead of the parliamentary elections. So could you just provide context around that?
3: Absolutely, um, Oscar. So you're, you're right. So the, the, the dates and, if you like, deadlines, for lack of a better term, that we mentioned, they are um, the processes that are laid out in the, the Power Source Framework Agreement. That is agreement that was signed in December 2018 that really governs the implementation of OU Tolga's obligation to deliver power domestically. Right? That was an agreement that was signed with the government in December, the year before last. And in that agreement, uh, there are options uh, laid out in terms of power options that are being considered and there are certain steps when they can be considered those are the contingency mechanisms that we refer to and there are two of them the first one uh, has has expired and now we are in the second one and the power options that were included and are considered in the power source framework agreement do not include the option that the government has now put forward as its preferred option, right? Um, And the discussions we are having at the moment is, um, if we want to consider that, which of course um, uh, the government has decided that this is its preferred option, and so therefore um, um, that's something we need and want to respect and uh, investigate that. If this indeed can be executed, and you have some, some reservations about the real, the, the, how realistic it is. But it's certainly something that uh, we take seriously and we would like to work with the government to run to ground. In order to be able to do that and to have that grounded in a proper legal framework, we would really need to amend that agreement because at the moment it, it technically does not allow for this option, if you like. So what we're really saying is we would like to work with the government on this and on other options, uh, but to be able to do so, we would, we would really need to amend that agreement. And the date by which the current agreement says it would need to be done happens to be June 14th. That's how that uh, works and comes together. Does that, does that answer the question, Oscar?
6: Uh yeah, no, it it does Of you know. Hopefully the um the the government of Mongolia has um has thought uh, this through and it can deliver the power for for the project. Then the last thing if I may, um on your estimate for current liquidity uh lasting until or through the third quarter two thousand twenty one, what operating cash flow assumptions or working capital assumptions do you have embedded there and uh or what metal prices?
3: Thanks, Oscar. I might ask Luke to take that question. Luke, uh, are you okay to, uh, to to address this one?
4: Sure, Alf. I will do my best. Uh, and, Oscar, can I just say uh, I hope you and your family and loved ones are, are, are safe and well. Um, thank you for wishing the same for us. Uh, my attempt to answer your question is, I guess, first of all, to, I guess, refer you to our our uh, production and CapEx guidance for for 2020. Um, that'll give you an idea of some of the key assumptions that we're assuming in in the in in both the CapEx and the production space that that obviously will con- contribute to um, our operating cash flow as well as our free cash flow. Um, you'll note that. Uh, the ranges haven't changed, but we are somewhat hopeful that we'll be able to get some additional gold and that we'll end up at the top end of the range for gold production for 2020. And I'd also refer you to the 2021 outlook um, for copper and, and gold as well, which which we haven't changed um, and it still remains valid. In terms of uh, working capital assumptions, I mean, we're we're not assuming anything sort of Herculean in in an effort really where we're, we're assuming kind of normal core stuff so so we're not assuming any sort of significant buildup or drawdown in inventory levels um, AP levels sort of uh, appropriate for the level of capex expenditure that we're we're, uh, we're we're planning to see over that period of time and then obviously our assumptions around AR would be consistent with um, the sort of revenue profile over that period of time, which again you can kind of you can kind of see from the guidance that we've issued. Um, it's probably worth noting that on the capex guidance for the underground, we we have reduced that to a range of one billion to one point one billion, um, and we've also reduced the top end of the sustaining capex guidance down to 100 million. It was previously at 120. So all of those things are obviously having a, an impact on on liquidity over that period of time. Um, in terms of pricing over that sort of key period in the remainder of 2020 and 2021, I mean we're not we're not really in the habit of sharing our pricing assumptions too broadly. But um, what I can say is that for 2020, um, we, we we certainly have recognized the potential impact of COVID 19 not just on our levels of spending but also sort of from a global macro perspective the impact is having on the copper price so we do have a you know very conservative assumption for 2020 that that you know um, without giving you the number I it, you know it's in the range of current spot if that makes any sense at all and and obviously a, a more conservative assumption for gold and then for um, 2021, uh, we revert back more to uh, broker consensus, really, which is what we would use for both copper and gold. So I know that's not a 100% answer to your question, but hopefully it, 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 it helps to answer the question and gives you a bit of flavor.
6: Now, that, that's uh, that's helpful, uh, Luke. Thanks very much, and, and best wishes, everyone.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from Dalton Barreto from Canaco Please go ahead.
7: Thank you, and uh, good morning, everybody. I'll, I'd like to pick up on your discussion with Oscar there on the, uh, on the power plant. This, this option of the government actually building and funding the power plant and supplying you guys, I mean, clearly that's a business-critical risk, not just from a reliability perspective, but also from a negotiating perspective should this be the way going forward uh what type of contingency are you thinking in terms of power supply
3: Dalton just to clarify when you say contingency you're just, just a, ba- a you backup of? Of, a, a, a backup power supply right. source I would say look it's a good question Dalton I if you I'd ask you probably for a little bit of patience here only because
5: this option was,
3: this option was put forward by the government relatively recently uh, in the middle of April, uh, so less than a month ago. Um, and I would say, like you, um, there is lots of questions that we would have as well to be able to run to ground with the government. Um, the one you're mentioning is one. There is a few others as well. Uh, so at this stage, Dalton, I think where we are is to really focus on making sure that we can address all of these options um, and therefore make an, a, an amendment to the agreement to provide us to do the flexibility to do so. Um, as you rightly point out, Dalton, at the end of the day, power is an absolutely critical component for uh, OT to be able to run the business, and that is why, ultimately, OU does need to be in a position to um, decide um, what um, the best option is to run the business. But at the same time, we want to make sure we have an option that is the best for OU that also has the full support option. And to do that, to run that to ground, putting an amendment in place to give us more time and flexibility to explore that would be important. And once we've done that, uh, Dalton, then we need to be in a position to answer some of the questions you raised, Oscar raised, because ultimately OT needs to make a decision. And to do so, certainty, capacity, funding, um, you know, permits, all that would need to be answered uh, to be able to make a final decision. But today, it's only four weeks after we received the uh, proposal. Um, it, it's premature for us to comment on that, Dalton.
7: Yeah, okay. That's fair. Uh, so then maybe I'll switch gears and uh, talk about this uh, this updated guidance, if you will, on uh, CapEx and schedule. And I apologize if I missed this in your earlier commentary, but does this guidance factor in any of the uh, COVID-19 related delays? That, that's number one. And then number two, uh, you I said, know you said you can't comment on the contingency, but can you maybe talk about how much of the contingency has been consumed already given
3: the delays today? No, Dalton, I can answer the very question. So just to be clear, when you say guidance, I think you're referring to the uh, the guidance on uh, the underground, not to 2020. The underground, that, that, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. the schedule and okay. CapEx, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that guidance does not include any potential uh, negative impacts of COVID-19, point number one, to be clear, does not. And the second point is, um, we aren't really in a position to provide any update on contingency uh, how much is in there and and therefore where we are, Dalton. I'm afraid that's a level of detail at this stage uh, we're not we're not in a position to provide to the markets. I know it's disappointing, but at this stage we can't do that. No, that's fine. So then, when you do put out the
7: a definitive estimate, will that then update these numbers based on the delays you've seen so far, or do you think you'll just stick with this and? See
3: how it all unfolds. No, no, absolutely. So you're exactly right, Dalton. So the definitive estimate um, is meant to have a very high-level execution level of accuracy, uh, both on schedule uh, as well as on costs. And so where we are at the moment, Dalton, is really in the process, right? If you remember, July last year, we started off by saying 16 to 30 months, and $1.2 to $1.9 billion. Uh, Now we've given you a range of 21 to 29 months and uh, $1.3 to $1.8 billion. Uh, So it's still a range. It's still fairly broad, but it's narrower. And importantly, it stayed within the range we've given. It hasn't gone outside of that. You should expect, as we get to the definitive estimate, that that those ranges become very, very narrow and might even converge on a number.
0: Makes
3: sense. Okay. That's all from me, you guys. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Dalton. Thank you. The next question comes from Craig Hutchison from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
7: Good morning. Um, in terms of the updated panel zero mine design and the incorporation of structural pillars to the north and south of the boundaries, do you think that's going to have any impact on your ultimate
3: reserves? And Craig, uh, morning to you. Joanne, this feels like one for you, if you're okay to take this one?
0: Yes, of course. Of course, Ulf. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Craig. Uh, so, the, the impact on reserves is still being assessed uh, of the pillars, and uh, there are recovery options or recoverability options being assessed in this uh, next level of design refinement. And so we will understand more about this um, as the as the uh, next few months progress. The work progresses in the next few months. So uh, that's really the focus at the moment. Um, sorry, does that answer your question? Was there a second part to it? Sorry, it's getting a bit late here. No, I
3: mean I, I just I wanted to know if there I guess if there's uh, any
7: materiality to to those to the size I guess and, and the tons of grade that's in those structural pillars in terms of the sequence and ramp up.
0: Right, and really, you know, those those pillars uh, are going there, are are being left there to provide support for the ore handling system, uh, which in this case is to move ore off the footprint uh, to the crushers via via trucks. And uh, and those those pillars, uh, the ore handling system will be able to be used by panel one and two, and it provides some redundancy. So there's some real benefits to add in those pillars in terms of recoverability we're really working on what options that we have at the moment uh, to look at uh, um, you know what what the outcome might be and it's just too early for us to draw any conclusions because of where the planning process is at but it is something that uh, we are looking at closely or would you say any more about that
3: no, as to said, just to say, just to say uh, work's going on. Too early at the moment. Um, and when the work's completed, then then we'll know and move from there accordingly. Uh, Craig, we just at the moment it's just too early. It's simple as that.
7: Okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my question.
1: Thank you. If there are no further questions. I will turn it back over for closing comments.
3: Thank you very much, uh, operator. Um, Look, thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. Um, I will keep it very, very short in terms of my closing remarks. Um, we have talked a lot about COVID-19. I do not want to belabor the point any more than we need to, but at the same time, it is the biggest event that is impacting all of our lives as well as the business at the moment. I think we've been able to draw out on the call today that uh, up until now, Uh, The business has done an outstanding job, and the government's been extremely supportive in putting us in a position where, to date, both as far as the operations are concerned, as well as the underground development, lateral development, has not been impacted. But at the same time, we are mindful that going forward, um, it is likely to have an impact, but how much, we don't know. And so the team is working very hard to be as creative as possible to find ways to mitigate those options, and again to work with and get the support of the government, to be able to do so. The second point I'm going to make is we have made an important decision. When I say we, that is the TRQ board, uh, to imp- to approve uh, the mine design option for Panel Zero. What does it mean? Well, it means uh, we are on track in relation to the timetable we laid out uh, late last year. As to what are the steps that allow us to work through, address some of these initial stability concerns that we had identified. The definitive estimate um, is due for this, later this year, subject to any delays by COVID, depending on that how play, that plays out. We have provided you some ranges, some updated ranges today in terms of CAPEX, as well as um, schedule, so 21 to 29 months and $1.3 to $1.8 billion, and that funnel will narrow and converge on a number by the time we get to the definitive estimate. Uh, so there's still an inherent degree of uncertainty in these ranges today because, of course, um, the level of accuracy we have today. But we have now picked an option, and we now can take this option and develop it to an execution level uh degree of certainty and finally on funding and power work is ongoing we have a plan we have engagement and on the financing uh, side as Luke commented we're working towards putting an interim funding facility in place really to give us time and flexibility to make sure we can explore long term funding options that address that minimum funding gap that Luke was talking about and I think on power, you've heard on the call that um, there are discussions going on with the government. Uh, there is a, an agreed framework in place that provides the legal framework. And within that, we are trying to work with the government to put amendments in place to allow us really to investigate the options that are best for the business, but also importantly, the option that the government would like to pursue. Uh, and and an amendment would allow us to do that. So with that, let me leave it there. Uh, Thank you for joining us on our call this morning. Stay safe, um, and thank you very much, and goodbye.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Enjoy the rest of your day.